taking care of business. And uh, he's not here today. But I'm here, and Sean's here. Um, Sean, wave to the crowd. See, he waved. You didn't even see him. Um, got a not a real long. I'm gonna do a short podcast today. It always man, it works better when I've got my partner with me. But um, gonna be if you got your Bible and you want to do a little Bible study, I want to talk about something. Hey, Brack, good morning. Um, and we're gonna be in Matthew 18. Um, just want to talk a little bit about this passage. I was talking about it with a, a friend the other day. On our students were studying through part of this passage on Wednesday. Um, and I just wanted to visit it, just kind of been where I've been sitting and, and reading through it. Before we jump in, though, I do want to plug something that's going on. On October the 8th, um, Tim and I are going to be doing a, I, I guess we'll call it a leadership training, leadership camp workshop. We're going to be doing them quarterly at a church in Athens. Um, it's going to be at the Gates Community Church. Um, and we, I can put a link in the description. I'll put a link in the uh, comments when this is over. Um, but if you're a small group leader or you're something like that and, and you've not been through uh, any lot of training or anything like that, we're going to be doing that. This this particular one on October the 8th, this first one, um, we're going to be focused on Bible study, doing our Bible study training. It's going to be a shortened kind of truncated version of what we do. And um, uh, hey, James Harden, man, nice to see you. Thanks for watching. And uh, But we're going to be doing that, and then we're going to be having some follow-up stuff. Bruce Lawrence is going to be helping host us there at the Gates Community Church. Real excited about that. As of right now, I think we've got between about six different churches represented and, and people that will be there. So mark that on your calendar, and uh, would love to see you. But I'll put a link in the, the comments if you're interested in coming and fill out the registration form. Really, the only thing that we need that for is is twofold. Number one, make sure we have enough books on hand, um, student books, and number two, that we have enough pizza. And actually, number two is probably more important than number one. Um, Matthew 18. If you've been studying Scripture very long, been in church, you know if somebody says, hey, we're going to talk about Matthew 18, then you know that they're going to be talking about um, when you have trouble between you and a brother. And uh, that's actually just the second half. Uh, of the of the passage, I'm going to focus today on the build up to that, and and there's context that's given to Matthew 18, the restoration of brethren um, when there's conflict. The context is actually given in the first half, and that's kind of where I want to look at because I believe these texts in Matthew 18, as it starts can oftentimes be used, I won't say necessarily inappropriately, but they a little bit out of context um, for uh, defending certain things that are even good things. Um, but let's read and we'll chat. Um, Matthew 18 starts out, I'm in the Christian Standard Bible. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, So who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, Y'all know if you've watched my teaching style very much, you know that I, I like to read a little and talk a little. Um, I find it interesting going into Matthew 18 that that this is the question. Um, we see this in other places in Scripture. You know, you got James and John, the sons of thunder. Hey, I want to sit at your right hand, and who's going to be great? Even their mom gets involved, you know, and is like, hey, which one of my boys is going to be the man? And uh, he kind of lets them have it. But the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I guess a lot of it depends on uh, how you look at it. I mean, you could look at that and go, oh, these guys are being selfish. They're being self-exaltant. 
Um, and they're trying to figure out if they're going to be the ones. But really, I, I like to take it a little bit different and read it and give them the benefit of the doubt. And and part of that's because of what the rest of the text says. But I kind of read it like this is like they're like they're really asking, hey, how do we do this the best? You know, because their mindset wasn't yet developed into to seeing the kingdom the way the kingdom needs to be seen. And and they I believe they were probably legitimately asking, hey, what's the pinnacle of of what it looks like to be a follower in the kingdom? And the reason I say that is because I experience every day a ton of people in the body of Christ with good intentions, good motives, and a good heart, but they seek things to be defined in the kingdom like they're defined in the world. In the world, you know, our corporate ladder and things like that, you know, we're always like, how do I get to be the best at my job? Then how do I get to be the best in the company? How do I get to be the best salesman, the best this? And what's at the top, the best ball player, the best this? And that's the human mindset. How do we get to be the best? And maybe it's not just so that you can be better than everybody else. It may simply be, I want to know how to succeed at what I'm doing. And, and I see that earthly mindset in this question. How do I succeed at what I'm doing? And I think Jesus gives them a legitimate answer to that question. Um, in verse 2, he says, He called a small child and had him stand among them. So picture this. There's a bunch of guys standing around, the disciples and Jesus, and he calls this kid over. And he's just kind of standing there. You can kind of see the kid looking up at everybody like, hey, guys, what's up? And Jesus says, truly, I tell you. He said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. A couple of really important things there. Number one, Jesus did not rebuke their question. And so if you're reading their question and going, ah, they're a bunch of self-centered, you know, pompous, whatever, trying to be great, I don't think that's what they're doing because Jesus would have probably, uh, or at least judging by the way he handled them in other places, uh, may, have, may have said something about that. It's like, no, you're being prideful or whatever. But no, he gave them an answer, um, which gives validity to the question. And I believe he's reading their heart uh, in that. And he's like, but then he says, unless you turn. Now, we're in Matthew 18. We're, we're kind of deep into the story. Um, hello, Tim. Nice to have you with us. Hey, Tammy's watching today. Hey, Tammy. Um, we're deep into Matthew at this point in time. So the disciples have seen some things. Okay. They've, they've seen some miracles. They've seen Jesus do some things. And in our limited earthly theology and ways of looking at things, a lot of times we say, well, they're saved because they're following Jesus. And I'm not saying they're not. I'm saying they're not fully developed yet in their understanding because he says, unless you turn. In other words, unless you change, unless you do something different, that that idea of turning is what we would, would, would even say is unless you repent, okay? Unless you do something different and become like little children. Unless you do something different than you're doing and become like little children would also indicate uh, to me that they're not doing that. He's saying, you're not doing what is right. And and I don't know that this is that euphemistic you. He's talking to them. Now, does it have greater implications to everybody? Certainly. But he's, he's telling them, unless you do this, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this messes with some of our theology, especially in the once saved, always saved business. And 
And, and because we've got this picture in the disciples of what I believe, and I believe it's intentional in the scriptures, of what it looks like to be sanctified and come into belief. We've kind of tricked ourselves into thinking, oh, if you'll just say this prayer, then you'll be fine. And, oh, look, you're in, everything's good, and there was a line in the sand, and, I mean, I've preached it, heard it all my life. I preached it myself, and I don't do it so much anymore, but it's like if you can't think of a day and a time, da, 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 then you might not be saved. And let's, let's get it get it fixed now. You say, I want to get saved tomorrow, but you your soul may be required in the 11th hour. We get all that, and I'm not even saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that it doesn't always look that way. In fact, we even see Peter and John at the resurrection, if you read it carefully, as they ran to it, John stops at the door, Peter goes in, they see the, the bedclothes laying there after Jesus' resurrection, and the scriptures actually say, and then they believed. Well, what did they then believe? They believed that he was who he says he was, that he was going to resurrect like he said he was going to. Um, in other words, their belief became more complete. And I believe it became even more complete after the, the influx of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But he's drawing a line here in verse 2 that's important. They're saying, how do you become great in the kingdom of heaven? And he kind of bait and switches them a little bit, and he answers the question not with how you become great, but his answer is how you actually even get in. That's an, excuse me, an important distinction because it's one thing to be great in the kingdom. It's another to just not even get into the kingdom. And what that highlights is, is their messed up thinking. Because it's earthly, human, fleshly thinking to think, how can I be great in God's kingdom? And Jesus is saying, bro, you need to be concerned about getting in it at all. Because the way the kingdom is viewed is different than the way the earth is viewed. He says in verse 4, therefore. So you got to turn and be like a kid or you won't even get in. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like a child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so... He, he does something here in response to their question. They're like, there's almost an assumption on their part that we're in. Now, how do I get to be great? Jesus couples those things together. Unless you turn and be like one of these kids, you'll not enter. And then he says, if you'll do that, if you'll humble yourself like one of these children, you'll be the greatest. So it's almost like he's saying everybody that gets in is the greatest. And you get in by being humble. What's the practical ramification of this? That humility, childlike faith, we like to call it, is, is paramount, is tantamount to getting into the kingdom and to being functioning in the kingdom. And I jotted some notes down here, and I was like, okay, he says, you got to be like a child, but he specifically says to be humble. If you humble yourself like a child. Um, so what does that mean? What's the analogy that he's given us here? So what is a kid? What does a kid's humility look like? Number one, he's dependent. I mean, little kids especially, they're 100% dependent. If you don't feed them, they don't eat. When they're babies, if you don't clean them, they stay dirty. Uh, they literally can't do anything by themselves. Now, he's he brought a kid over, and he's using this kid as an analogy that he runs over. I don't know how old this kid was, but he was a child. So he, let's just say he's six, seven, eight years old. Totally dependent on people in authority. And he says, to get into the kingdom, to be great in the kingdom, it means that we have to be in a place of total dependence. Another thing kids are is they're deferent. In other words, when adults have authority over them, they defer. 
they, I'm not talking about they never rebel or anything like that. I'm talking about in a general sense. Um, adults rule the world, as it were, especially for kids. They don't get to decide a lot of things. Um, and it's and it's not that there's power being taken away from believers in this text. He's simply highlighting the fact that what it looks like to be in the kingdom and be great in the kingdom is to be dependent on God, to do what God says, to be obedient, to understand it's not about us, it's about Him. That's the attitude that he's, that he's looking for here. And then he goes on and he says um, in verse 5, and whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. Now he ups the ante a little bit. Because remember, he's not really talking about our attitude towards children. Now, that's where I was saying sometimes these verses are used in a way that it's not necessarily bad, but it's not necessarily out of the text. We use these verses to defend things um, about you know heinous acts against children. I think there's a lot of other verses that we could use to do that. And But this text is not talking about how we treat children. This text is actually right now talking about what it even means to be in the kingdom and how we behave, and how we behave with other believers, okay? Let me, let me take the analogy a little bit. How do you get into the kingdom? You act like a child, okay, in, in terms of your faith and in terms of your humility. How do you become great in the kingdom? You act like a child in terms of your faith and your humility. And then he says, and whosoever welcomes one child like this, let me rephrase it. Whoever welcomes a believer who is humble like this, he says, you've received me. Now, can we make practical application of that into how we actually treat children with humility and acceptance? Certainly. But he's answering a question here about the kingdom, not about our deportment with children necessarily. Okay? Verse 6, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, to fall away. See, now he's he's clarifying his analogy. We like to quote that like this, but whosoever uh, causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him to, you know, have the thing tied around his neck and blah, blah, blah. And we automatically say, if you hurt a kid, it's better for you to be drowned in the sea. I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just saying that this text is talking about, let me, let me insert what he's talking about, but whosoever causes one of these humble believers who believe in me to fall away. It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. He's talking about what it means to be a humble believer and what it means to be great in the kingdom. And he's using the truth of how we should have deportment with children to show how we should also have deportment with our humble brethren. Okay, it's almost a given that certainly we're not going to mistreat a child who is humble and deferent and, and dependent. And he's like, that's a given. And then he's saying like that, don't treat your brothers a way that you wouldn't treat a child. Okay, and so can we use this text to defend how we treat children? Eh, kind of but only in the sense that that kind of treatment and deportment is a given and an expected. What he's really saying here, and he's gearing up for the later part of the chapter, is be careful how you treat one another. And that's going to be a marker of your greatness in the kingdom. 
We got to be like one of these children who are humble. I saw something one time. What's my time? We're good. I saw something one time and I wish I had taken a picture of it, but it was a long time ago, back when everybody went to malls and we don't go to malls hardly anymore. I guess they're still around. I don't want to go to one ever. Um, but I was at uh, Town East Mall in, in Mesquite and they have a playground in the center of like center court thing on one end, like by pennies or something. This huge playground and mamas, you know, while they would come or maybe the dads would bring the kids out and let them play on this playground. My mom's off doing her shopping. Well, I was up on the second level and just like every other guy in the mall was waiting on somebody else to get through shopping. And I'm looking over the rail into this playground and there were just a billion kids down there. It looked like ants. Somebody started an ant pile. But I remember seeing there were black kids, white kids, brown kids, Asian kids, uh, Hispanic kids. I mean, there were every single there were some Middle Eastern, you know, kids and parents around the edge, you know, watch every ethnicity, walk of life, culture you could imagine was in there. And what I did not see was this group over here and this group over here. Man, those kids just simply did not care what color the other kids were, if they spoke their language. They didn't need to speak their language. They were running a merry-go-round or whatever it was they were doing. And they just played together. It... There was a humility in it. There was no pecking order. There was no, I didn't even, there wasn't even any bullying, which we see a lot of times in kids. It was just a free for all of fun. And that's kind of the picture that I'm seeing in this as he's like, hey, hey who's going to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus. And he says, unless you turn and start treating each other with humility, the way children treat each other, without prejudice, without whatever. He says, you're not even getting into the kingdom of heaven. And, and you can take this and try to twist it into like social justice and stuff like that. I think there's certainly an application there. But I think what he's highlighting here is, is within the body of Christ, it's extremely important how we treat one another, how we have attitudes towards one another. John 17 talks about the unity of the brethren and, and the unity in the church. And I think that that is, he says, that is the thing that will make the world know that he was sent from God. A lot of people kind of twist that and say unity is how the world will know that we belong to him. I think that's true, but that text in John 17 is even more important because he says, no, no, no. That's how the world will know that I, Jesus, not me, but he, when he was speaking, that he actually came from God, which is also to say that's how the world will know that what he says is true. And so there's a weight put on how we treat one another that I don't think can be overstated. It's extremely important that we have unity. But what have we done in our culture, our religious culture? We've divided, we've drawn lines. Um, but one of the reasons I'm super excited about going to the Gates Community Church um, in October, in next month, just a couple of weeks, is their whole reason for being right now in this season is to be a multi an intentionally multicultural church um, they are intentionally not just hoping but intentionally reaching out to different cultures uh, a multiracial church excuse me to different races I think it actually their sign actually says multiracial community um, because that's where we are in a as a culture the body's got to lead out on that. And, and the body has to say, no, we're like those kids at the mall. 
it's not even that it doesn't matter. I said this to a fellow yesterday. It's like, it's not that we're colorblind, but it's that we celebrate each other. You know, we, we live in a multiracial family. Uh, we have, we have white, we have Hispanic and we have a, a, a black son. And I've had people tell me before, well, I'm really glad and proud of you for being colorblind. And I'm like, no, I'm not colorblind. We celebrate the differences that God made. God made the differences for a reason, and they're wonderful and to be celebrated and, and experienced, not whitewashed or, or, or you know, looked past and like they don't exist. It's just like with our, our disabled daughter. You know, people are, are, you know, say, we just want to pretend like she's just like everybody else. Well, I want her to experience everything like everybody else too, but you can't really ignore the fact that she's not. You have to address it, be open about it. it. And sometimes we actually even celebrate it because of some of the things that she doesn't have to endure emotionally in the culture that's around us. Um, and so you just take things for what they are. They're God's creation and you celebrate them. The same thing in the body of Christ. We come humbly as a child before God in our faith and we treat the ones, it says, when the, what does it exactly say? But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, whoever causes one of these humble believers in me to fall away, uh, deconstruction's a big deal right now. Big buzzword amongst millennials are deconstructing their faith and walking away. That's the big deal. Everybody wants to walk away from their faith. Well, you know, true faith doesn't get walked away from. That's what I would submit to you. And, and maybe you're in a season, maybe you're going to come back, but I'm just saying that it's also important for us on the flip side of that. He says, "Don't you be careful. Don't you dare cause one of these humble believers in me to fall away because of something you're doing in the way that they treat, you, that you're treating them. I know of a lady one time, went to a new church. I'm not going to say who and I'm not going to say where because y'all might know it and them. And sat down, first time. And somebody actually came up, and I know this is, this, this is a cheesy analogy, but this actually happened, and asked the visitor to get up and move because they were in her seat. And that lady didn't return to church for many, many years. And I would go to Matthew 18, and I said, but whoever causes one of these humble believers to fall away, it would be better for him to have a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. You think Jesus is taking seriously that we offend little child believers, humble, maybe new in their faith? I think he does. And, and the rest of the text is going to go on. Look what he says, and I'll, I'll wrap up. He says, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses will inevitably come, but woe to that person by whom the offense comes. Let me put it, he, he's answering the question, how do you become great in the kingdom of heaven? And he says, you got to be like one of these little children to get in and be great. And then he says, but be careful. Woe to you if you cause one of these humble believers coming into the kingdom to fall away. Because he's like, look, people are going to get offended. Offense is going to come. But he's like, don't let it come from you. I want to hear it out of you. You receive them. They're your brothers. Okay? They're, they're your family. But what do we do? We talk about each other. We divide ourselves. Can't worship with that guy. Can't worship with that lady. Can't, can't do this. Can't do that. 
And certainly there are places for division doctrinally and false teaching. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that our general deportment towards each other in the body betrays or, or highlights where our heart actually is. So if you find yourself focusing more on why you can't accept, be with, or worship with someone who also loves and follows Jesus, they just have some different beliefs than you, I would say to you, be careful of verse 6 because it's important to Jesus how we treat each other. We don't have to agree with everything. We don't have to be passive in our doctrines and beliefs. I'm not, I'm not even saying that. He wasn't, but he loved people. And he gave place for people to love him. And, and that's what he's calling us to. I don't have time to, to get into the rest of this, but, um, but it's a good stopping place in verse 7 because he's setting up, when he gets to the parable of the lost sheep, He's setting up kind of what the dynamics look like. Again, we're talking about within the body, all right? And then he's going to get into how you restore trouble with a brother. And uh, But the prerequisite to restoring problems with a brother is make sure your heart is right and how your deportment is and how you're treating the brethren in the first place. You be humble too because you may be the one that's in that spot the next time. I'm glad you joined us today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it off right there. If you've got any questions or comments, feel free to make them even after the broadcast. Uh, we'll be happy to address those. Hopefully, Tim will be able to be back with us very soon and, and actually add some uh, legitimacy to this podcast from his mere presence, and I hope that he sees that. Um, October the 8th, if you're interested in doing some leadership training, we just need to know that you're coming if possible. It doesn't cost anything, um, at least for now. And uh, um, so we'll put a link in there in the comments. If you're interested, click that link, fill out the deal, and we'll save you a seat. We love you guys. We appreciate it. See you all next time. Bye-bye.